Podcast Podcast. This week is definitely different. Doing something I never done before. I like that, right? Expanding the edges. I always invite you to your edge. I'm always going to go to mine. I just got back from traveling to Oregon for my birthday, and then I was in Los Angeles and then Malibu area for a festival called Mercado Sangrado, which was really fun. It was like a folk festival meets a food festival meets talking ted talks ah it was really cool meets hipster central it was pretty it was pretty dope and i got i had the absolute privilege of sharing the stage with uh amber and jenna who are the hosts of the mother loving podcast we did a live recording of the podcast and i shared some of the sound clips from that with you guys on instagram and everyone was like can we please listen to this whole thing we want it on your podcast and so that's what we're doing this week. I'm really excited. You're going to listen to a live talk where we talk about relationship archetypes and each one of our stories a little bit. And also we did a Q&A. So I'm really pumped for you to listen to this. And before we begin there, I want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you who have left a review and a five-star review. That's so appreciated. So wherever you're listening to this, if you can go leave a five-star review or a written review, it's so helpful for getting this in more people's ears. If this episode or any other episodes have really resonated with you, please share them. Please share them on your Instagram stories. Tag me. Like, I would so appreciate that. And if you are going through a breakup, I created the most epic breakup recovery course that's about getting you from heartbroken to healing and moving you through the process of the five stages of grief. And I paired those with what I call the five stages of growth that really move you through the breaking and the building at the same time. And it's meant to sort of fast track you through the things that take us a long time to do. It doesn't mean that you're going to be fully healed at the end because that never happens. I don't think in our lifetimes that we ever want to forget our past partners. We want to thank them and have gratitude for what they helped teach us. The point of this is about giving your past purpose. And I join you every day in your inbox with a video and a little reminder, as well as five weeks of course material and videos to walk you through the expansion of learning how to make your past your teacher. So if you want to pick that up and that sounds good to you because you're not having a hard time forgetting about, you know, forgetting your ex or they're coming up while you're in a new relationship and trying to open up or you're always comparing them, this is the right course for you. So all you have to do is go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash breakup rebirth, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-R-E-B-I-R-T-H. So go to bit.ly slash breakup rebirth and go sign up now and Put that healing behind you, right? Put that X behind you in your past where they belong so you can open your heart and move forward. Now, without further ado, the live podcast recording with Amber and Jenna from the Mother Loving Podcast. Hello. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the fireside area of Mikado Sagrada. We're going to have some really good chats today challenge some of our beliefs, dive into some new ones. So I'm Jericho. Um, I'm a spirituality coach and an author and I do stuff like this. And I just want to take a moment to think about the land that we're on and acknowledge the Chumash people, the First Nations custodians of this land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and future. And our first conversation today is all about relationships, which are such a key to unlocking 
so much in us, but also such a great source of challenge <laughs> and blocks. So we have like, luckily, a team of experts that are going to help us unpack all of this. So we have with us Mark Groves, a human connection specialist and the host of the Mark Groves podcast. And we also have Jenna Penrose and Amber Lestrange, who are the co-hosts of the Mother Loving Future podcast. And they're doing a live podcast recording of this conversation today. So please make them feel welcome. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for coming today. Hopefully we can get into some juicy topics here. Yeah. We're yeah. just going to solve the challenge of relationships in 40 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, no pressure. No big deal. We're specifically looking at relationships today in the context of how to heal from them and how to evolve which I think is very smart and important, seeing as though we can't escape relationships, <laughs> which is a great thing. Yeah, I think we often, you know, we have two perspectives. One that, you know, fate has brought this upon me and I don't get a choice. And when relationships end or they have challenges, that's just how it works. Or they're all invitations to grow, to be better, to heal. I, I like to think that in any moment that we get triggered, that we're really being invited to an opportunity for mastery. Big time. And nowhere is our triggers more prevalent than within relationships because when you're in such close quarters with someone, they're going to definitely rub against all those spots within yourself which are hurting, which are still in pain, which are not healed. And it can come up as relationship troubles, as, as fights, as, you know, that type of thing. And we can look at that and sort of go back and forth with the tit and tat of it. Or we can take ourselves out of that and say, what issue, deeper issue is presenting here? And how is this an opportunity for me to heal myself? And with so that mature. perspective, I think the only way to do that is to have a perspective of taking responsibility. You saying, okay, what is in, what, what have I brought to the table? What is this activating in me? And how can I heal from that to create the kind of life and relationship that I want? so easy to be in the ego mind and say, you did this, you did that, this is your fault, I should just leave and then all my problems will go away. But really, I think we call in very specific people in the relationship zone to trigger us in order to invite us to heal what we need to heal in order to work towards divine union. Mm -hmm. So in some way, we should thank the people that we date for pissing us off. <laughs> Absolutely. Us. That's a great attitude you really, to have. You're really making me mad. Thanks. <laughs> I think of that, though, like when you're single and you have your shit together, you know, you like take time, self-love, go to the spa, light some Palo Santo or whatever you do. And I'm not saying that cynically. <laughs> ah, a little. But the, the, then you get in, you think you have your shit figured out and then you get in a relationship and you're like, fuck. I didn't know this wasn't healed. I didn't know. We get like if someone doesn't text us back in 14 seconds and we're like, oh. I'm going to block this person. You know. <laughs> Clearly know how a woman's mind works over here. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were having a conversation in the parking lot. I'm not going to reveal too much about how as humans we often use relationships as a distraction from the things we need to heal. And so a lot of us use um, love relationships and get addicted to just having distractions, whether that be distractions in the drama that comes with it. And that drama can look like, um, you know, fighting and triggers, or it can look like chemistry, or it can look like a myriad of things, but it's very easy to 
to move away and run away the second we get an opportunity to confront ourselves. So, yeah, I guess that's the, the, the precipice of today's talk is how can we face ourselves through the mirror of relationship? And you guys have children. So I'd imagine that's a <laughs> we whole are other deep in the mirror. trigger zone. Yeah. Of course. There is no Sleep tapping deprived, out. Totally. Needs oh, yeah. on needs. Right over here. That's it, you know? And when that happens and you're in that desperation zone of either sort of you sink or you figure out a way to swim. And I think by uh, framing it in this way, it's a really good way to start to swim, but also really good, especially if you have children, for your children to not only see you modeling radical self-responsibility, but also in um, forging a path of, of peace within your family unit. So it's so valuable. And, you know, on the marriage topic, I have this feeling that Part of the, re the, the underlying reason for marriage is to not be able to tap out so easily from facing yourself and from evolving and from healing what it is you need to heal. So you can be a more present, incredible parent and teach through your way of being that generation to then be whole, happy humans that will hopefully look after the planet, look after each other, create a more evolutionary step in humanity. So I think that really taking marriage seriously and as you move into a marriage, sitting down with your partner and really talking about a context that is going to serve each other's evolution and use it to, you know, move through the grit rather than just tapping out whenever it gets uncomfortable. I feel like that's the purpose of marriage, the underlying spiritual value of marriage. Absolutely. I think that could be challenging though, because like if you look historically marriage was about essentially creating in-laws, right? Like <laughs> the children. marriage historian, Stephanie Kuntz talks about that, that it was like you met, you married someone from a tribe next door and then you had a safer geography to walk on. You shared resources and that once we had the agricultural um, area time, then all of a sudden we could own land and then we owned people. And then we didn't want people marrying someone who worked on the farm, but rather someone who owned farms too. And so it was a way of holding social hierarchies and keeping rich people rich and poor people poor. And I don't think that's changed in a lot of places, right? So I think in the context of marriage, it can be, because I think, you know, of course, people aren't getting married as much. They're getting married much older now. Dating um, apps. We have the birth Best control pill, so people aren't having kids at a party. And that's that certainly had an impact on the people that, and the amount of marriage that happens. And if you get married older, you're usually a little more wise, I think, in your choices. But I, that's an interesting spot to think like we're in this transition where relationship meant self-abandonment. That's true of patriarchy, too. And now we're in this space where it's like, you know, humans have two needs. We have the need for self-expression and we have the need for belonging. Well, historically, if you self-expressed and this is still true, you often didn't belong anymore. So when authenticity threatens belonging, belonging tends to win. So I feel like we're in this balance of like self-abandonment and selfishness. Like we like have pivoted to a really individualistic state. I like to um, break that. Sorry. Well, just to his yeah. point really quick. Like, we all have a lot of thoughts on that. I, I think you're making such a great point. But I think, um, you know, what was coming up for me is that we are at the precipice really of redefining systems, you know, yes. and not just in the external, but the system of marriage is 
changing because like the way you described it historically, totally different from the type of striving toward divine union, which, you know, we're going for here. So I think part of our challenge is in the redefinition of, of the system, you know? And so that is a whole thing. And we are the path cutters, you know, we're the bushwhackers, we're figuring it out as we go. And to your point before, it's like when, especially when you have children, it's like, we're often repeating the pain, the patterns, the things of our parents. And those go back in generation lines and lines and lines of, you know, mothers who were not happy, fathers who were, you know, maybe whatever, cheating or whatever, and goes on and on. So our, our task at hand is to actually break these ancestral patterns, to redefine the systems. And this is no small task, you know? And so... Definitely not. That's why I think to create a context, moving into a relationship doesn't have to be marriage, just a relationship. Yeah. To get your partner on the same page where you have a framework that's going to suit you both and support you moving upward in your evolution. And Mark, to your point about those systems and what marriage was based on, For me, what came up is when you were talking about that, it feels like that is a system of the ego. It feels like the mind, the linear mind, the ego created that system in order to gain the comfort and security of money, status, X, Y, Z. I think that reframing relationships is this is the time now to start the journey from the head to the heart and in that place start to recreate the systems that are going to help us all thrive in a bigger context as a race, mm-hmm. as a society. Heart-based systems. That's I, think, it. I mean, I, when I look back at relationships in like junior high and stuff, I don't, do you guys have junior high in the States? Is that yeah. A, I, I wasn't sure if you call it something Middle else. Middle school. Middle school. Or junior high, both. We say both. So you know that like really hard time when you're like 11, 12, 13, some people are six, two, and I wasn't. And you start to look and you're like, when I, when I first dated a, a girl, cause we were like 13, I wasn't like, Hey, here are some of the things that I value in relationships. And here's what's important to me. I was just like, I like, like you, like you. Boobs. I like yeah, you, like yeah. you. I get erect around you. It's just <laughs> when we dance. Oh, is this PG? No, not oh. at all. Jokes. <laughs> like I already fucked that up. Go crazy. But that, and now to think like when we enter relationship, as you guys were saying, that we redefine the word. And words are always just shared agreements of what that word means. Mm-hmm. So when someone says to me, like, I don't believe in marriage, I'm like, you don't believe in what you've been taught about the word as opposed to taking active responsibility for what you're choosing when you say, till death do us part. Which I think is a, I've been thinking about that vow. Because you think of like vows like honor and obey, and that's like, okay, that shit's got to go. Till death do us part, I was thinking about that. If you get married when you're like 21, you know, I, I'm happy I didn't get married at 21. I'm sure the woman I dated at the time was like, that's good we didn't. But I think... It's interesting. It's like, is it a mortal death or a death of self? So if the part of you that chose the relationship formally, if you don't grow together, because you're going to be different your whole life, that's a beautiful invitation of love. Is that even if you're with one person for your whole life, you will fall in love with many people during that time. So I just wonder about that. Of like, We're so resistant to relationships ending. In a lot of ways, relationships have been a prison especially for women. What are you most afraid of in your personal experience when relationships are coming to an end? 
Well, it's the acknowledgement that the story I have in my mind is coming to an end. I mean, I also know that the biology is going on, that I'm like part of my brain that goes off when you're addicted to things like cocaine goes off. You miss them more. You forget about the things that weren't great. And you all of a sudden marinate and ruminate on all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think it's that. It's like recognizing the idea that the story as you thought it to be is going to not happen. However, taking active responsibility of saying, I'm actually the executive producer, writer, and everything, caster in this. So it might just happen with a different person. But that's hard for a human to do when we haven't been taught to even think about how we think. It's not always encouraged to have individuation and your own thoughts and opinions. I know, Jenna, you have opinions about why we're not encouraged to think for ourselves around that. And we're inheriting belief systems from our parents and then pass it on to our kids and on to their kids patriarchal society maybe yeah i mean i think if you do look at, at society it has a tendency towards patriarchal and uh, patriarchal nature like we have mostly male leaders mostly male church leaders scientists politicians doctors people in positions of power and so they have created the systems very mental linear based systems rather than the systems of the heart like we're trying to say moving towards systems of the heart and maybe we're and so that has definitely affected women in relationships for generations generations and we as women today we carry that rage you know as women we carry that rage of all of those women who couldn't be in their fullest self expression you know and so i think as you know a lot of times women sort of have the reputation of being explosive sometimes or crazy you know uh but it's really to me that is like this ancestral frustration and we actually just have to let that rage burn we have to let it burn and honor that fire because that rage has to come out and be released in order for us to change the system and and to to cut those ancestral ties you know so i think looking at the patriarchy and how it affects us in general can really affect the way relationship is defined for sure. Should we talk about some tools? If we're going to, we've set the baseline of relationships being a place for evolution, growth, healing. So we've spoken about triggers. We've spoken a little bit about mirroring. Should we talk about how part of the, the pathway into evolving from your relationships is taking radical responsibility? As you said, taking responsibility, say, during a breakup for the story I'm attached to that that relationship represents. How did you come to recognize the story? Because that's pretty deep-seated stuff right there. The story is important. Recognizing the story and how it runs you. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's good. Um, How did I... I mean, I certainly didn't think that way when I went through previous breakups, you know, where when I was younger and I wasn't doing... I mean, when I broke up with someone, that's when I started to think about, like, how did I get here? You know, when I was 27, I was engaged. And when I ended the engagement, I was like, I got engaged when I didn't want to be. That's weird. Why would you do that? Why did you do that? Because I felt like I was, it was the momentum of the system. It was like I was taught to get married by 25 to 27, have kids by 30. And I went to Catholic school. That's like that story on steroids. (laughs) Plus, you can't have sex till you're married. But that goes out the window pretty early. And so in that, I got to this moment where I got engaged and I thought to myself, like, I think I'm supposed to be more excited than this. Uh And it really made me start. I'd never done this before. I never actually thought about why would I choose something that I actually didn't whole body want? And why am I so good at communicating? I was in sales. 
about everything but my feelings. That's not a skill set issue. That's something else was going on. And so I dove into, I read Man's Search for Meaning from Viktor Frankl. And that was the first time I thought, like, maybe I'm actually here to do something rather than just become a provider and have a house and take care of, you know, a family. And I was like, wait, you have choices that are beyond. So it, I really looked back and I was kind of pissed off. because I'm like, I was taught all of these things that were not about authentic self-expression. I was taught that being an artist, you can never make money. You know, all the standard Same. things that I'm sure all of you have received. Right. To keep the systems going. And I think we all get invited in these moments to what feels like an act of rebellion, a betrayal of a system or someone else, someone else you might love to reclaim self. I want to just note one point in your story. You said that as you got engaged, you had this feeling that surely I'm meant to be feeling more. Surely there should be a full body. Yes. In this, that is, I think, a very common experience where people have a gut instinct, an intuitive hit that they push aside because they're so programmed through the system. I feel like that is a major tool and point in what we're discussing today in navigating your way through relationships, finding the, the breakthroughs through the breakdowns. And um, especially for men, they're, they're taught that they can only operate and thrive when you're based in the linear mind and to kind of ignore the, the intelligence of the heart. Because take little boys, you know, when they cry, they're told, don't cry, be a boy, be a man, man up, you know, and so that closes the heart, the heart portal down. It was ironic when I was exploring my fear with people when I was engaged. Um, I would be told things like, you're just afraid to grow up. You're afraid of commitment. You're, you have Peter Pan syndrome. Uh, and I was like, wait, so I'm encouraged to now share my feelings. But then when I share what I am thinking I'm feeling, I'm told it's actually not valid. I'm curious. Do you think that was that particular individual's story, their own story that they're projecting onto you? Or do you feel like there's some... That was more validity? than one person. Uh -huh. I think it was a lot to do with... You know, one thing I really learned from that and seeking advice from people that might be affected by my choice is that when you seek advice from people who might be affected or are afraid their own relationship might end, then they're going to give you advice that minimizes their own possible outcomes. Even unconsciously, they do it. It's not malicious. But when I shared my story on a forum online and was like, this is what I'm going through, does anyone have advice? No one gave a shit what I chose. So they were, their advice was independent of my own freedom, my own sense of connection to self. So yeah, it was, I feel like it's just a narrative, you know, that like, we want men who are self-expressive, self but when they are, we don't often trust it. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, so, or yeah, totally. And so how did you cope with breaking off that engagement? Um, and standing up to the expectations and what were the repercussions and how did that go down? How did I cope? I wish I had said I meditated and went on silent retreats. <laughs> I drank and went to the bar and partied and found short-term affirmation hmm. and connections uh, for a little bit. And then I started to actually explore the impact. And it was hard because it was like the the people who were affected by it, I mean, I felt like I was betraying a lot of thoughts. I was letting her down. She's an amazing human being. So it was, that was hard to, to betray someone because I just had a calling. How did you put that to her? Oh man, that was like one of the hardest conversations I've ever had, you know, to, to start. And I just said, this, there's something off. I don't feel like this is my right path. There was a lot more words than that. 
And it was, I mean, those, those moments of like stepping into this, I, I used to shut down a lot when I'd get flooded. And it, I mean, those are these massive moments where we have this opportunity to choose a different way. And that was the beginning of choosing a different way. I want to know, obviously, we've seen what the breakdown was. That was the relationship breaking up. And tell me more about how that catapulted you into a breakthrough and how that trickled into all parts of your life. I just had this insatiable desire to understand why do relationships last and why don't they? Why do they? Why do people stay together who hate each other? Why do we ignore the fact that divorce was actually... like? I looked back at my life and I'm like, the whole story I was taught was you marry someone and you die with them and you stay in love. But then when I woke up, I was like, oh, people aren't still in love, like a lot of people. And it was cynical at first, but then it just became reality that I was actually paying attention finally. And I was starting to think about how I think. I was starting mm -hmm. to step into this space where I wasn't first person. My brain is, uh, is, is programmed and I don't have any choice in my thoughts and my movement in my life. And I mean, that was the birth of everything, because in that insatiable desire to understand the truth, I then was like, why is no one teaching this? So like, you, no you rediscovered this? your authentic self. Yeah. I mean, that. that's a continuing of journey. Of course. But yeah. That never ends. Yeah. But I do think that that metacognition that you speak of, the observing of yourself it is so crucial to this conversation because especially in relationships, especially when you have kids and you're tired because you're in this, you get into default mode, you know, because yeah. you're so wound against wound and you're so like, in, you could be tired or you, you're just, um, you know, with someone for so long that you go into default mode and you just start to repeat the same things you don't want to repeat without noticing. And so for you to have that moment and that practice of metacognition, what I mean by that is observing your own thoughts and seeing just even if nothing more, just observing your thoughts. How does your brain process this? What type of thing are you leaning towards? Is that a choice you want to make? Is that a choice you not want to make? That's a good first step. Yeah, and what true. biology is active? What is the human system actually? It's like when you get flooded, your body goes into fight, flight, freeze. And it usually goes back to the age when that first feeling happened. And so that's why we act six. You know, that's why we shut down. That's why we get reactive. That's why we get defensive. Because we still have, are frozen in a moment of time. And it's a trauma. You know, that if you define trauma in a way that anything that you couldn't prepare for, well, then we have permission to so many different things that are real. And I think about that opportunity to, like when you take a cold shower, I find it's like a great way to train yourself. Because all of a sudden, your body says, I'm going to die. This is cold. But you're not. And when you can start to communicate to yourself, this is cold and I'm actually safe, then you learn how to control and actually connect your own nervous system. Showers sound traumatic for you. They, you they're have, good you training. Just be a it's like Navy guy. SEAL training, but not at all like that. <laughs> I'm basically not ready for the field. You're a softie, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but they are great. They, I'm, I've definitely experienced where you put it on the... In Canada, the water's colder. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Here we go. Yeah. It's so colder the weather. in Canada. Exactly. But I'm curious for you two, like, where was your moment that metacognition happened or that betrayal <laughs> happened that, like, where you had to turn towards a system mm. uh, and reclaim self? I mean, every time that you share your opinion, it's an act of rebellion, too. So yeah. I honor that. My my one was massive, massive, massive. Jenna and I talk about archetypes. Uh, we have 
we've figured out through our own life experience, um, just our personal definition, our own version, our own version of some primary archetypes that we've come across in our own life. And I like to call the archetype that catapulted me into searching for my authentic self and redefining every aspect of my life, my twin flame archetype. And raise your hand if anyone can relate to having experienced this archetype. So the twin flame is the person you call into your life that you have an extreme chemistry with someone who you just feel like you've known lifetimes before, you can really understand and feel their essence, someone who just lights you on fire, but at the same time drives you absolutely mad, triggers you on such a deep level that it's the fight or flight situation. You're either totally elated when you're with them but they get you just in that spot that no one else could trigger you. And without them, you crumble. And there's an addiction element to this, Um, the highs and highs and the low lows. Can anyone relate to the twin flame? Yeah. Trauma bonding. Okay. Massive wound on wound situation there. Sexy stuff though. Oh, super sexy. That's that's the hook. That just keeps you I'm so uncertain and unsafe with you. We should... Oh, we should continue this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Really bad. Weird stuff, too. We should do weird stuff. Yeah. And (laughs) whoa, whoa, whoa. And I remember, so that was my my twin flame relationship. Was I just thought to myself, there is no way I'm ever gonna get out of this addiction because no one else compares to how this person makes me feel. Now, right there, that's danger being addicted to someone for not who they are in the world, separate and autonomous from you, but how they make you feel. I think that that's a really dangerous hook. So that person completely destroyed, well, I allowed that person to destroy my universe. My my whole context of men and relationship and love and sexuality and self-worth and my dependency that had been created just completely trashed me. And so it trashed me to the point where I was a shell of myself. I'd lost my authentic self. I'd lost the beaming self that attracted that person to me in the first place. And I had no choice but to remove myself physically from the country I was in. Opens up the chapter to LA to America and to having no choice but to rebuild myself step by step in a conscious, awake way where I I vow to myself, I will never allow myself to be completely um, broken and destroyed under the, the wing of someone else. And I, it was such a blessing in disguise. The scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I knew two people in LA. That bit wasn't scary coming to LA, but breaking up with that person was, but In hindsight, I look back and I can see that that was a stepping stone, divine timing, divine orchestration to lead me to my life partner and to lead me to my fully empowered, authentic self and to lead me to my life purpose, which I know that your major breakup led you to your life purpose. And so looking back on that, the breakdown of that relationship, I had to go that low. I had to be that destroyed in order to be create extreme leaps towards rebuilding my life and 
I'm in such gratitude at this point for the absolute intoxicating mess that brought me through because it it allowed me to rebuild. I had no choice. And I think that for anyone who's going through a relationship that seems to be so wrong and you're just so furious at them and it's something that seems like it's breaking your soul, there is you have called that person in to heal in some way. And taking responsibility, as we noted previously, is the way to find that breakthrough and to catapult into your full potential, I think. So, yeah, I think a lot big. of that's a like those stories. I love what you said about those. The breakup allows us to shatter everything that is true mm-hmm. that we think is true. So the truth can be born And this idea that it reconnects us. It Rock bottoms are just invitations, you know, Whew, they're hard, though. Yeah. And Dark I, I think soul. a lot of the times our relationship choices come from a desire for someone else to heal us, to choose us. And so that act of rebellion of I'm going to choose me even if I don't have a choice anymore, because that's what the universe God gives you a little, like, hey, maybe you should pay attention. And then you don't. And then you get a cosmic two by four to the head. <laughs> and yeah, and then it's like, I knew this like six months ago. Shit. So yeah. I just pay more attention to the nudges now. That's smart. What yep, about you? Because those nudges are going to turn into two by fours for sure. <laughs> Um, well, for me, I'm a sort of a different case, I think, than you guys. You know, I was a philosophy major, always super ready to see through systems and always super like ready to redefine them. So for me in relationship, I was always searching um, very much in my intuition as and I could not function outside of intuition. So I was always sort of intuitively sizing up different potential mates and could tell that they weren't going to work for whatever reason. And I guess for whatever reason, my life path was to prote- protect my heart from these more violent uh, relationship types. And I was always in search for what I now call divine union, which would be like um I look at it like the yin-yang symbol where you have equal and opposite forces that are coming together to create a a field of balance, a field of neutrality. And I was always sort of looking for my opposite in that way. And I was never one to like experiment much outside of something that felt like that. So that has been my journey with relationships. And when I did get married, I, it's so funny, my husband, and he's not perfect, I'm not perfect, but it's like every pot has its lid. And we really do balance each other in these sort of ways, which are only could be divinely orchestrated, you know, it's just like, perfect. And we still have so much to work on within that connection. And that's sort of where I'm at right now, like kind of once you have that, how do you maintain that balance? How do you thrive within that balance? How do you not become bored within that balance? So um, that's been my journey more. Should we talk about the life partner um, archetype? archetype? Yeah. Or maybe we should talk about the soulmate archetype because the life partner usually is the last one that we, we find. Well, should we just do a really quick like one sentence yeah. rundown of like our archetypes that we that we made up? Um, <laughs> yeah, let's and- do it. <laughs> jump in here because I know that you have a definition of the soulmate. So ours may be different. So I'm interested to know your. You go first. Okay, go on. Um, okay, so then I could say whether I agree or not. Okay, yeah, yeah it's perfect. not even Take like the the, leap. this is not set in stone. This no, is just this is based our, on our personal. This, this is, is a moving our theory. Yeah. Right. Moving. Totally moving theory. Okay, so the soulmate, what we would call the soulmate, is somebody that is perfect on paper, 
and you think it should work, by all reason and logic, it should work, but there's something off. It could be timing, it could be chemistry, it could be just intuition. It's just not quite right, and it just can't work for some reason. But subtle, with the very soulmate, subtle. you do have a very deep love. Deep a love. very deep compatibility yeah. and affection and draw to one another and a knowing of who they are in their heart, almost like a past life connection, perhaps. But but not like that, like not, okay, so, but not the same as the twin flame. No. Which would be Not this that devastating. Devastation. No, the trigger Crazy element is different. The yeah. trigger element with the soulmate. The soulmate's a sweet. Doesn't take you down. No, it's a sweet connection that should work, but just doesn't quite. Yeah. Um, so that's the that's soulmate. soulmate. Who can relate to, to that archetypical relationship? Yeah. Yep, 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 yeah. yep, yep, okay. yep. Okay, great. Okay, and then we have um, the twin flame, which is the roller coaster. Can I just say the soulmate, for me personally, my soulmate connection gently beckoned me to heal what I inherited from my parents that was not serving my heart and my consciousness and my evolution. So so important. Yes, because there's a healing with each one. And like you were saying too, it's like we are expected, like, you know, you're expected as a Catholic boy to marry a Catholic girl mm-hmm. at this age. It's like those expectations are what make the person perfect on paper, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just yeah. not because that system, the system defined that perfection for you, but it wasn't perfect, you know? So that's the soulmate. And where we can evolve is by finding ourselves, breaking down those systems, figuring out what really works for us, not what's supposed to work for us, mm. you know? Mm. And, okay. I mean, I agree with that. I think it's, it's set on, I think mine is broader yeah, in no. that I believe soulmates can take many forms that invite our healing and expansion. Um, I mean, I've only ever been in relationship with pretty wonderful people, but even in a short three-month relationship, being completely transformed by the feedback that I received of how I show up to the world. So I, I would see it not, it, it, I, I guess I just see it as a much broader, it could be a best friend who mm. calls me forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, you always seem to see what I don't see. Mm. Absolutely, that exists. We've got a cute archetype for that. Yeah, All right, person. give me that less, one. Less than three, <laughs> the, the less than three months yeah. of sweetness, yeah, we would there's call an angel. the angel archetype. So okay, the angel, you got one for that, okay. The, yeah, okay. So, so the <gasps> angel usually swoops in in divine timing, when you're transitioning out of something painful and you can't so really rebound. recognize. But a sweet rebound. But a sweet rebound. We, we've got different okay. rebounds as well. Oh, there's there's, a, there's a only five. There's only five or maybe six. There's not that many. There's so many. the angel, a lot of the time, is not a sexual chemistry, is, is not a sexual relationship. It's someone really pure of heart that sees you and allows you to see yourself in moments where Mm. you can't recognize your light, your beauty. You're usually coming out of a destructive relationship or some kind of like intense time where you need a reflection that is pure of heart, that is angelic, that lifts you up. They help you step back up into your spot where you have your confidence, you can recognize yourself and then you move forward. They bring your sexy back. Yeah, bring your sexy back. It can be romantic it cannot but it's usually like a three month around the three months mark on for me personally on the day of the three months I'm like oh my god the way you talk I can't stand the way you're eating right now oh the cut of his jeans all those superficial terrible things allow me to then move on and I've had my time and the angels served their purpose Mm -hmm. so 
The filler is filler. a fun one as well. Let's talk about the filler. The, the filler, ultimate distractor. The, the distractor from the distractor. yourself. That sounds like not a glorious role. <laughs> no, it's like you don't Depending even like how you define it. You don't, even, you don't like even like them. They don't even like you, but you're just going out because like you just need someone to go out with. Exactly. And they and they, <laughs> and they fill and they fill the space where you're like Nef- have... Netflix and Phil. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the next Netflix and Phil. Yeah, that's right. That. <laughs> that's not bad but you yeah. know that you're their filler as well <laughs> yeah it's usually like, filler on filler and it, for usually, some it could reason. last three it wouldn't last more than three months probably, probably. No. I mean, and then you'd get those can you just yeah. probably ghost each other yeah like, I forgot other. to and call you a year okay ago you're both it. okay with that yeah you're, yeah, like, you're both right. like finally broke yeah, up with me someone. for me <laughs> and then we have the wrecking ball I'm curious to know how many people have had the how many have been the wrecking ball too well that's the thing this is interesting about mirroring and relationships and our path to evolution through relationships is that often we get an experience where we are then on the other side of the shoe is that the expression I mean it works the shoe something like that we'll just translate it to North American. American yeah and that allows you compassion for then moving ahead, not being someone's wrecking ball because you've been wrecked mm. by a wrecking ball. And so the wrecking ball, just to define it really quick, is somebody that you kind of put up on a pedestal or you really like, but they out of reach. They're out of reach or they never they maybe give you a couple crumbs, but they never really like aloof. Yeah, they're aloof. And then you just just drains your self-esteem. You're like, what they don't want, you know, it just wrecks you for they're the ones that you have this incredible date and incredible night together and then you're really feeling the authentic connection we've got something this might be the one and then you walk away and you're like oh they're going to text me first thing in the morning they never don't hear from them for two weeks and you're stewing you're like am i crazy was i the only one feeling that connection is he leading me on he must be seeing other people what's going on here and then then he destroys you your mental processes yeah Yeah. totally distracts you from being and then he does uh what is it uh uh, what is the he zombies you where he rises from the dead? Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. like, hey, he's the boo, zombie. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah, like, like been thinking of you. Why'd you text me? Haven't. And where the fuck have you been? Yeah. Let's go on another date and fall in love. And then you think, oh, you okay, him again. he really has been it's distracted. He'll be himself now, and we'll yeah, always, he sorted always his shit out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always making excuses. Yeah, for whenever why you he's find not. yourself making excuses for someone else that they don't make for themselves, you're already down a bad Have you been someone's path. wrecking ball? I'd love to get in the mind of a wrecking ball. Uh, I mean, I would say that probably no, but I there's someone out there who probably is like, fuck that. Cold. You wrecked my ball. Ha. That sounds bad. But Not you know mine. what I'm saying. My ball was fine. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, probably. But I've never been a destructive person. I've mm-hmm. never been like emotionally erratic. I mean, I might get a text later that says, yes, you have. But I don't think I have. I've always had like a certain, my technique was more to shut down and withdraw. So, I mean, that can be misconstrued as being. A, Look, I definitely ghosted well. back in the day, but I have reached out to everyone I can consciously remember ghosting and, and, wow. and apologize. That's good. Did you do landmark? Human. No. No, no. Oh, but I do just, know of landmark. Yeah. I just feel like if I'm going to talk about these things, I have to live them because yes. then the, yes. there's no integrity to my work. If, you know, I'm like, you should clear with that person you ghosted. And then I'm like, not going to message them. <laughs> so I did. And, and I did it without the need for a reply. But I did get one. That's beautiful. And it was really it was a really beautiful. It was like 12 years later. It's funny, though, because she wrote me back and she said, uh, thank you for this. Uh, you know, I, I already knew you were like it was right after I was engaged. So, you know. I wasn't emotionally available and I was clear about that. 
but she said, I read a post of yours a couple of years ago, and I was thinking to myself, if you just stayed around a little longer, I could have taught you that lesson earlier. And oh. I was like, touche, well done. Touche. Yeah. Brilliant. Nice. Have you guys been wrecking balls? Oh, I think I have unconsciously. Not consciously. You yeah. just seem so like you She's took philosophy. Purest, I know. She's, like She's I wasn't, I did finance. You. I had frosted tips. I had a puka <laughs> shell necklace. There was nothing <laughs> philosophical. I was like, we should go to the club and dance on the speaker and make out. We all I was here like reading no. who? Well, I was reading. Yeah, I was reading Descartes, but probably I was like, going to say Descartes. That's funny. Father of modern philosophy. Um, I love that you were reading Descartes and I was skipping class doing Jagger bombs. Like, <laughs> but I was, but I was equally partying as well. Oh, you were one of those Paris, that could party in. in. Paris, oh, in Paris. Yeah, 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 oh, my bad. <laughs> yeah, that's different. Um, okay, what are last, last one? French. Well, we talked about Twin Flames, so we won't have to go over that one life again. Partner life partner is hopefully the last at the end of this amazing journey. Yes. Okay. So, so life the life partner. the life partner is the person <laughs> you guys are funny. with whom you have sustainable chemistry and who supports you in your true soul's mission and your true soul's work. And it's a and you also support them in their soul mission and their soul work and it's a sustainable connection and chemistry. And there's a wholesomeness. For me when I met my life partner the love and chemistry and that connection was like way crazy, exciting. Whoa. It was this deep. I can just visualize this um, smooth, straight kind of grounded line, like kind of like bouncy electric line. I'm very visual, clearly. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's something that doesn't trigger you on that deep, hurtful, insane level, but rather calls you to heal in more gentle ways. And supports your life mission mm-hmm. um and not to say that there isn't a bumpy road there because oh, here we're all at earth school we're here to learn lessons not it's, gonna miss welcome bumps. to class welcome to class it's not gonna be fun you're all, all failing the time. there'll we're be fun failing. times <laughs> there'll be fun times but it won't be fun all the time but yeah of course there's so much still left to learn and grow and evolve and when we're not learning growing and evolving we may as well be dead so do you guys think thing. that there are more than one life partners out there for us um, I, I mean, my experience of, of that definition is I would say my last partner, which my relationship ended uh, in our, September, was all of the ways you define life partner. So, I mean, that was a it was like supports each other's mission, all those things. Could have been a soulmate, though, because totally. it, it was like not the timing. It, it was right, but it was well, not. one because we're not in partnership anymore. So I f- would fuck up the definition of life. partner. <laughs> but you could have more than one life partner, too. And that could have been one of your That's multiples. Okay, you know, I think you could there's you could have many of each or you could have none of any or you could be a very in unique mix of them, you know. And it doesn't have to be like a past life connection like for instance where's my husband make sure i use my eavesdropping um for, for, for me and this is my recorded husband anyway so it's good so he doesn't pay attention to yeah. anything i do um love you care in case you are um for my life partner it it definitely i couldn't compare that past life connection understanding instantly his essence and knowing him on such a deep me level that I had with my soulmate and my twin flame, Mm. I was getting to know him. I'm still getting to know him in this lifetime. I don't feel like I've had many past lives with him at all, but same. And at this, (laughs) and there's something beautiful in that fresh life together. It's almost like the other past lives have led you to appreciate 
that those attributes in that life plan and recognize them because you've kind of messed with all the other turmoil to get you to that place to appreciate those aspects of groundedness of um, all the things life partner is mm-hmm. the stability all that totally uh yeah I know we're, they, we we want to open it up to questions. Too. Great. I did want to, uh, what you were saying just now about, the, I, I find that there could be other language to it, that you could be, have gone from trauma bonding to actually figuring out what, like that love is actually calm and peaceful and that there's healing that happens. I agree Good on luck. both sides, sides of the conversation. I just think when we use spiritual language, which is probably super normal here, uh, we often lose people who think in a very like linear way. Yeah. But both are true, of course. Where we can get lost in spiritual language is when we don't define things like twin flame and soulmate. Because I know a few people who are like, but he's my twin flame, mm-hmm. even though he's like it's completely unavailable. Love. Like, and I'm like, yeah. well, you're going to die on that cross. And she's young. Yeah. And I'm like, you're going to, maybe his lesson is to teach you to let go. And, and that's why I think we just have to be mindful that if you are obsessed, following, chasing Addicted. a twin flame, a soul fate, soulmate, mm-hmm. soul fate, you that's are it. being invited to show up for yourself and choose yourself. That might be the gift. Mm-hmm. And I think we forget that, that the gift, like all exes, anyone you interact with romantically, intimately, deep friendships are all teachers. Mm-hmm. And so you can look back with gratitude for each ex. That changes everything. Whenever anyone's like, all my exes are crazy, I'm like, there is a common denominator, though. (laughs) And they don't have a blog to write about it. So, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, and just ending on that point, I think that one of the most powerful things we can all do is really be that neutral observer for ourselves and our life and take the definition of love and redefine it. Not what we have inherited from our parents, the brokenness, the addiction, the codependency, whatever it may be. Take that definition of love and redefine it in a way f- that serves how you navigate your way through relationships and who's right for you and who's wrong for you and where your intuition leads you chasing that love. Because as you said, the addictions, you know, that be careful too much sexual chemistry that can also be like, oh, it's dangerous. So it must be real love because I'm feeling so much. But um, yeah, we, we have to take responsibility to redefine the things that we, we are chasing in life because it can often lead us down the wrong rabbit holes. We often don't find sexy what's calm. Isn't That's that true. ironic? More distractions from our own pain Like and you're trauma, so I'm safe sure. and reliable. Well, I'm I don't know why I don't want to fuck you. This is so weird. <laughs> Anyways, that's... Capricorns, time to Capricorns open for Q&A. Okay, yeah. Let, let's go. I'm a Scorpio, so it's just natural for my brain. Capricorn. I'm a Capricorn, so I kind of like steady and reliable. I can sense that from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Studious yet partier. Very balanced. Um, I want to know, like, in terms of the archetypes you're talking about, if, like, what are your thoughts about relationships where maybe one person sees, oh, this is my twin flame, but the other person might see it as, like, this is my life partner? Like, that, what are your thoughts on that? That happens so often, I think. And it's just, it's every individual's own perception of their position within it, you know? So I think definitely it could be one person's twin flame and how we're defining it and one person's uh, think that they're their life partner, but that's not going to really play out very well. So, in yeah. And also, can I say, often you'll go through each each archetype which gives you the compassion it's designed to give you the compassion to not be a wrecking ball for someone because you have experienced the wrecking ball and how that's just such a head fuck 
or you've had the soulmate and so you know how to protect that person's heart who sees you as their soulmate. So it's all kind of preparing you to be the best version. And any, everything and anything is possible, like within the combinations, for sure. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I think of, uh, I agree with all that. And I think that the there's so many, when we identify as the wrecking ball or the, the life partner, um, we often don't identify ourselves as the wrecking ball. Let's be honest. That's one of the gifts of the wrecking ball. It, but I, it, they're in how you identify it can create a hierarchy, right? Because if I think I'm life partner quality and that person's a wrecking ball, I now get to stand in a bit of a righteous space as opposed to being like, hey, because those are matches, right? They're matches. We have to ask ourselves. I hear all the time, like, I attract narcissists. I attract, and I'm like, why are you a match to that? Because that's the responsibility. Hmm. So it's like, what am I inviting from a wrecking ball? Is it to finally say no? Hmm. Is it to finally, because that calls them forward healing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like whenever you work with any or you date anyone with addiction, the gift and addiction can be defined in so many different ways. The gift is not in trying to fix them. It's in healing yourself, protecting yourself, building boundaries around yourself, which inspires them to do that. And so I think it, they could be both, right? Like in that exchange, they can become a life partner and also you become one. If you don't get caught up in the drama. Yeah, that's hard to that's do. that's the distraction from facing yourself, is getting caught up in the drama and continuing the breakup, and you said this, and blame. Well, if you're breaking blah, blah, up blah. and getting back together a lot, No, 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 no. You're, you're missing the opportunity to yeah. heal and take responsibility. Okay. Next question. Um, hi. I was wondering if you... Oh, you wrote like... it down. I like this. <laughs> well, I wrote down Capricorn. notes, um, but I was really curious as to, like, the angel archetype that you mentioned you feel like it's really easy for people to sort of um, fall into this default of being the angel in people's lives, especially if they have a very like nurturing or healing um, essence of themselves. And also, do you think through people observing this and like being around more people with this energy, can they transcend from being sort of like maybe your twin flame or a more like not safe environment for you through sort of growing through that relationship with you as an angel yes so the angel archetype is definitely the healer you know they come in they allow you to be seen they heal those spaces in you which you need to to lift yourself up and move on to the next one do you and I also just to your point, I think there are people who will fall into that archetype more often just because of their nature and their sweetness and also their soul contracts. I mean, we're all on earth for different reasons. And I do think people could be here to activate many in an angel capacity. And that's a beautiful soul mission, you know, so totally possible. I think it could be dangerous to identify as an angel, though, because we're really teetering on codependency, too. Right. Like we go to this place where. I go around and I help and I fix people. I mean, most healers, they're, I'm, you know, I would identify as wanting to do that kind of work. Oh, come from codependent spaces, nurses, doctors, any healthcare, all because they want to help. And that's a beautiful thing. But when we don't have boundaries around our helping, when we don't say no to what's not healthy, when we don't, oh, I'm going to go help this twin flame wrecking ball, they're a combination dangerous. just to make it really cool. That is the work for us is like not everyone is actually safe to do that with. 
And healers can be some of the sickest because they're taking on these energies from they're pulling it out of people. So I feel like very good point and also very important to um, not be used in that way without really protecting your energy field and being conscious about it. And asking for permission. I used to give advice without permission. That didn't work well. They're like, you know, this is what's going on. And they'd be like, I didn't ask. And I'm like, I know it's a gift. <laughs> it's a gift. I don't want it. Okay, cool. Hi. Um, can one relationship go through the evolution of a few of the archetypes? And second, do the archetypes have a evolution? Like order? Stage? Yeah, order. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll just give you my answer, which would be... Um, I think so. I think in the infinite infinite realm of possibility, literally anything is possible. And these are just our, our mere human, very small attempts to define something which is truly undefinable. So I think yes, yes, and yes. Like it could go in any way, you know, and we're just attempting to understand the chaos. In my personal experience, I feel as though one relationship has been very obviously one type of archetype, and that's the fundamental dynamic between us but within the journey of that relationship there's been moments of like he's been my angel and then we've just moved on to whoa this is like life partner zone and no he's back to the twin flame but generally I mean just for me and it's different for everyone generally I can relate to that relationship that was my soulmate because they healed this in me and then they led me to that and everything they brought to me and then that person was definitely my twin flame but yeah, within that journey, you may experience different elements of, of each archetype. Beautiful. Hi. My question is about marriage. Um, two of you are married. When we think about marriage before, like, for example, in French aristocracy, we got married for children, for property, social alliances. And then for the love and the fun, um, we had a mistress or a lover. And so the permanence of the marriage, there was never an issue because these things, you know, we wanted forever, but the love and the fun, we could switch mistresses and lovers and keep going. And now suddenly we want to have the love and the fun, but we're not also wanting to drop the rest completely, right? We're evolving it, but we still want some kind of alliance and property and children. And so how do you, it's, it's like we're, we're asking for, we're making it harder now because we want more than before and we're failing a lot. So how do you, being married, um, what do you see for yourself in terms of permanence in how you enjoy that love and the fun and even the sexual part of it permanently? And, you know, so that's kind of my question. French. So great. You sound so like Esther Perel. Love it. Um, my experience of that is it's an inside job. What you want to show up in your relationship is an inside job. So I have to take it upon myself to wake up each day and choose to be fascinated with my partner and to, I'm not saying I'm generating everything, you know, like I have to generate having sex with him or generate thinking he's a great person and enjoying him. But there's an element of falling asleep that is very human. We fall asleep to our greatness. We fall asleep to the magic of love and life. We fall asleep to the beauty of the little things. And I think that if we each take responsibility, if, if you, if you marry someone from your intuition and create the context of knowing that this person has everything as an autonomous creature 
that will beckon you into your greatest and vice versa, and you have a life mission together in context, I think that it's both of your responsibility to each day choose each other and actively choose the the things that are going to keep things alive and keep the communication clear and sparky and the love sparky. And so, yeah, I think that that's just coming from you and it will be mirrored outward in the relationship. Um, good, great question. And so the answer that was coming to me as you were asking is that the world is changing. The, it's literally different energies on the planet now than it was in like the 1700s. And so what is possible of, of through consciousness and connection now between individuals, it wasn't even available on the planet at that time. So that's how they would have to had to have coped. Um, and now it's almost as like we're almost like a different type of human or moving into a different stage of humanity. And somehow through the grand design of conscious creation, it's such that the the lessons being learned on earth now in relationships are different than it was. The soul contracts are different. And for me, at least what's just to be real practical in my relationship, what really like keeps me hooked and keeps me turned on is something you alluded to, which is the soul mission. It's like the support, the, the the ever evolving way that we are me and my husband are creating on this earth you know and the art that the, the and anything can be art whatever you're creating together in a precise way could be defined as art so the creation that you are creating and how exciting it is to create like a master create with somebody and create a reality create a life create and and with me and my husband as we go deeper into that new worlds unfold into our creation things that we never thought that we'd be creating together are blossoming you know and so that's what keeps it fresh and exciting for me and just uh being on that mission i was also thinking unrealistic expectations are the weed that kind of siphons the the magic out of relationships I think that often we look to the life partner as someone that should tick all the boxes and supply you with all the things. And if they don't, then you start outsourcing other romantic experience or whatever it may be. But if we can really take responsibility to be savvy in our own outsourcing, look to our girlfriends to be our girlfriends. Look to someone else to be that spiritual advisor and connection. I think men are experiencing too much pressure in in a lot of ways to be everything for one person and that is women too and mothers too yeah of course no definitely everybody is true it's true but that is a dangerous zone to be in because people shut down and move away when they feel the pressure of expectation it's 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 a big turnoff everyone knows that in the dating game you jump in too fast and expect them to text you back the next day or you know whatever it may be instantly energetically men pick up on that and start to retract and i think it's just an energetic dance of allowing someone their space and the masculine to be the masculine and the feminine to be in the feminine and that's where the um divine union yin and yang that's when things work right i, I love what you said too because the really relationships have evolved to a place and Esther Perel talks about this that we expect from our partner what a village used to give us and that's a lot to hold not to mention when we say my relationship doesn't make me happy it's not your job of your relationship to make you happy and when we place our happiness on a relationship or our relationship status then it can be taken from us if we are the source of it then our partner gets to love us and that's their job not to heal us but to be part of our healing I remember when I was like 25, I was complaining to my dad about something that was going on in my relationship. And he said to me, 
I remember saying, telling him something. I can't remember exactly what. And he just shook his head. I mean, he's like, Mark, like you are your own organism. She is her own organism. And the relationship is a separate entity that must be fed and nurtured. And I remember thinking, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, but she's still wrong. And I remembered that, though, because it was a truth that just hits you. And I think the difference of, like, the problem lives between us as opposed to we are two people facing the challenge. And, like, I think about what you were saying, Jenna, that, like, through your experience with your partner, which was true with my past partner, too, is that as I learned how to heal and communicate and move through triggers and be in moments I'd never been in in conversations before where, like, I'd get defensive and I finally would say, there's something true in what you're saying. And all of a sudden I was on another side of an intimate conversation I'd never been in. And so where Eli Finkel has an, an article in a book called The All or Nothing Marriage. And the idea is that marriages have never been as good as they are now if we put in the work. And where we used to meet our Maslow's lowest needs, food, water, sex, shelter, with marriage, we now actually can flip that upside down and find self-actualization through the other. And I think that's just such a beautiful invitation, which you spoke uh, both speak so about your own partnerships, which that's beautiful. Very true. Very true. Oh, thank you. And such a good note to end on, everybody. Please join me in thanking Mark Groves, Ambler Stranger, Jenna Penrose. Thank you. Thank, thank, you, thank you so, you much, so much for being with us in this conversation. Really appreciate it. And this space. I feel like I need to get a floppy hat. I know. I'm like, damn, I forgot my straw hat. <laughs> okay, right. Are they uh, I'll be for sale up. somewhere? Sweet. Amazing. I'm going to come back to Canada and declare $2,000 worth of furs and hats. No, you've got to mule it in. You've got to smuggle it in somehow. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, everyone. Thank you. Beautiful. And thank you, too. Teach the children well so, so Earth is saved. This thank is you. great. Thank, thank you, you Mark. Thank you, Jenna. Love you guys. Bye. Have an awesome day.